of God brings heaven to earth. It leaves culture upturned and the kingdom upright. The kingdom is pure and holy. It is blessed and set apart. It is righteous beyond all understanding. It is generous beyond earning. Our God's kingdom is good news. His kingdom is saving grace. It rattles our reality and shakes us awake. And it pours out of us as salt and as light. It brings perspective that changes the way we think. It brings vision that changes the way we see. It brings growth that changes who we are. It brings surrender that changes how we live. The kingdom is kindness that doesn't feel fake. And the kingdom is patience that doesn't make sense. It is forgiveness when it doesn't seem possible. It is for the poor in spirit, the lowly, and the persecuted. The kingdom is his, his kingdom is ours, and the kingdom of God is here. Hey, Cornwall Church, so glad that you're joining us from wherever you're joining us from. Those of you in Skagit, we're glad that you're with us in the building there, and hopefully you got a chance to meet Zach, our uh, uh, director of, of Next Gen, Next Gen Director. If you haven't met him, you can't miss him. He's like twice as tall as Pastor Brian. Anyway, it's good to have him uh, on board with us this week. If you're here uh, with us in the room in Bellingham, it is always so great to see you, to be able to wave at you out in the parking lot, greet you in the commons. And if you're with us at home or wherever, uh, we're so glad that you're with us. We are in this series called Kingdom Culture, and this is actually the the seventh week. We're looking at the the greatest, the best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus uh, is recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Here's the interesting thing. We're into this series six weeks, and we've only gone through Matthew chapter 5. We haven't even got into chapter 6 or chapter 7. And um, I was intending to usher us into chapter 6 today until about a month ago. Pastor Kip and I were walking, and we were talking, and I realized that this weekend would be the weekend following the presidential election as well as other elections in our state and around the nation. And not being certain of where we would be, it would seem a little odd to just plow on through uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I decided to stay within the keeping of, of the kingdom culture to uh, pause on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but continue in this theme of the, of the kingdom. And so, uh, you know, like three weeks ago, I, I wrote these words. As I write this in October, I anticipate that in a few short days following the election, there will be some who are rejoicing, others mourning. Some will have a confident hope and others anxious despair. Some will be looking to a positive future for our country and again others gripped by a paralyzing fear for our nation. And I wrote that knowing that conceptually And then I started thinking, I would like to understand this individually and personally, of what will people be feeling after the election? And so I handpicked handpicked, uh, six or eight of my friends and really was striving to be with a wide variety, men and women. Those who, using political terms, would lean extreme right and those who would lean extreme left and some who I would consider more moderate with some some leanings that way. Uh, Not only that, but um, I talked to some people who were Christians, 
and some who would not consider themselves Christ followers. Um, and, and just to be able to, to ask them some questions. Not to try to convince them, but I simply asked them all the same questions. These are the questions. If Joe Biden wins the election, how will you feel and why? If Donald Trump wins the election, how will you feel and why? And I just wanted to hear. And it was interesting, the, the response, everything from elation and devastation to hallelujah and disappointed. And when I asked why, then they went on to tell me uh, the reasons. And usually it was because of some issues that are really very important issues that they hold on to very passionately, and, and that's a good thing. And so as I was, as I was hearing all of this, I was thinking, okay, what will people need to hear after the election? What will they need to hear if President Trump is reelected? What will they need to hear if former Vice President Joe Biden is elected? And so I wrote this sermon before the election so that it would be something that would apply to us regardless of who won the election or even if we didn't know who won the election. And so um, that is what I want us to talk about today. And I hope that you'll stay with us. I do want to say right up front, first of all, I don't want in any way for you to think I'm a Pollyanna, put my head in the sand, I have no clue or concept of the reality of the world that we live in. Second thing is I don't want you to think I'm just putting my cheerleader skirt on and saying it's all going to be okay, guys, because Jesus wins in the end. Well, that is true. And the third thing is I don't want you to think that I'm anti-American. I, I love the country uh, that we are blessed to be able to live in. So when I was talking to these individuals, men, women, black, white, Christian, non-Christian, Democrat, Republican, one of my non-Christian friends asked me, Bob, how do, you, how do you talk to your church about politics? And I, and I explained to him, uh, and he's very far, one of the far uh, extremes on one of the leanings uh, politically. I said, well, we have Democrats and Republicans in our church, and we have people that lean both ways. And he, and he said, yeah, and what do you say to those in the you know, opposite of what he believes, those that he would deem you know, have no brain cells left? And those, I mean, it's very demeaning. And I said, well, here's the deal. When it comes to politics in the church, I try to transcend the political environment. And he just looked at me like, I don't even have a clue what that means. And the reason I do that and I strive for that is because if you read through the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you'll see that that's exactly what Jesus would do that he would transcend the current political arena. Let me remind you that in the first century, Rome was the, the reigning world power, that Israel was under Roman rule. And in that culture, emperor worship, which, by the way, goes against the Ten Commandments, and idol worship, which, by the way, goes against the Ten Commandments, was very much a part of their world. In addition to that, there was violence, and there was oppression, and there was slavery, and there was injustice, and there was inequality, and there was immorality, and there was power corrupted, and there was overtaxation. I mean, it was a very, very horrible situation politically and socially, even nationally, and even spiritually. And what I find is that in that culture, Jesus comes back to this this phrase that we've looked at over and over again in this series, we see it in Mark chapter 1, where he says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. 
Now what's interesting on this is he says, listen, I've got good news. In the midst of this world where there's chaos and there's turmoil and it's difficult and you're afraid and they're anxious, I have good news about the kingdom and it's not a political message. He's not saying we've got to get Herod out and we've got to get our guy in. We've got to get you know, Caesar off the throne and we've got to tr- turn over the Roman Empire. What he talks about is the transcendent kingdom. This kingdom that exceeds, that transcends, that, that is greater than, bigger than, which would have been hard for them to believe. How could anything be greater than or bigger than the Roman Empire? And he says, maybe we need to repent from our thinking that the Roman Empire is the greatest thing and believe this good news, that there's a transcendent kingdom. It's the kingdom of God and nothing has changed 2,000 years later. I say to you, We need to repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. Let me make a statement that some of you are going to like maybe cringe at. You you think I'm like gone way off the deep end. The United States of America and the kingdom of God are not synonymous. They're not the same thing. The kingdom of God is was long before and will transcend long after the United States is, is uh, even an entity. With that said, the good news of the kingdom of God is not contingent on who occupies the Oval Office. It really doesn't matter who, for the kingdom of God and the good news, who controls the Senate or the House or what political platform or party is on that, that the kingdom of God is good news. And it is so important for us to hear that because we are filled every single day with bad news. You turn on CNN, you turn on Fox News, these two channels and all the media, it seems, are purveyors of fear and hopelessness and despair. They're fear mongers. They're they're bringing this bad news. And yet Jesus comes and says, I want you to repent from all that. Maybe he's saying, repent, turn the thing off, turn your news feed off, and know that there's good news in the kingdom of God instead of just living in this fear. Again, Jesus is dealing with people who understand fear, worry, anxiety. And he's talking to them about their fears of their lives, of their economy, of their future, for their children. And he says this to them, it's a great verse out of Luke chapter 2, 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. C- can we just spend a couple of minutes on this? Do not be afraid. That is the most often repeated command in all of Scripture. I've heard it said, I don't know if it's true, I've heard it said that that command, fear not, do not be afraid, happens 365 times in Scripture one for every day of the year. I don't know if that's true, I've heard that. But if you read through the gospel, this is the command that Jesus states more than any other. Do not be afraid, do not be afraid. I mean, we are not given a spirit of timidity, of fear. And he says, do not be afraid, little flock. That, that word little, because we feel so small sometimes, so overwhelmed by the, the, the vast issues of our world and and so small and so significant, maybe even weak. And he, and he uses this word flock. Now, maybe he's talking about a flock of seagulls, but most likely it's a flock of sheep. You know, a flock of seagulls can flap around, make a lot of noise, and make a big mess, which <laughs> a lot of Christian groups can do the same. But because it's scripture, most likely he's talking about a flock of sheep, and especially in this context, because sheep are timid animals. They're easily spooked. They're, they're, they're frightened. They get scared. But the beautiful thing is this. 
that if there's a flock, there's a shepherd. And if you were with us last spring, we spent a, a, a good number of weeks looking at the 23rd Psalm where we're told about how the Lord is our shepherd. That we, we don't have to be afraid even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death. That goodness and mercy will follow us, will chase us all the days of our life. And Jesus comes along and he says, and I am the good shepherd. And I'll even lay down my life. I care for you. I'll provide for you. I'll protect. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. You've got a good shepherd. And then he says, your father. And this is what I love about Jesus. For him, God wasn't just some distant deity. God was one. And he, and he would even say, Abba, Father, Dad, Papa. This close relationship that you're connected into the family and this, this father, he's pleased to give you the kingdom. If there's a kingdom, which is the good news, then there's also a king in that kingdom who has authority, who has dominion, who has sovereignty. So when you just look at this one verse, he says, you know, you're living in fear. Don't you understand? You're a part of the, the flock of the good shepherd. You're in the family of, of the loving heavenly dad, the divine dad, the father, the Abba father. And you have the king of all kings over the kingdom that you get to be a part of. And on top of all that, if that weren't enough, man, he's pleased, not like angry, he's pleased to give, he's generous. He pleased, pleased to give you the kingdom of God. Now listen, for some of you, that's all you needed today, just to hang on that verse. And I hope you'll stay with us through But for some of you, if you would just spend some time thinking about what Jesus says to us here, that would be just enough for you. But I want us to continue to go forward. I want us to talk about what I believe we all need to hear today and in this season and this week specifically. Because it's good news of the kingdom. Remember the kingdom. That the kingdom of God is now, through Jesus, available to ordinary human beings so that every day we can live and experience the presence and the power of God. All right, so a couple things. There are three uh, specifically, and uh, we'll see. I'll go as long as I can. Not as long, as long as, okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and start. The first one is, in relation to this fear, is kingdom confidence. It's kingdom confidence. Because sometimes we've got all of our hopes and all of our confidence in Whatever our political party is, whatever that agenda is, whatever our, our uh, candidate, you know, that, that that's where our hope is, and that's pretty shallow, and it's going to leave us wanting. And sometimes we hear about all the fear of how horrible things are going to be if that party takes over, or if that candidate wins, or if that candidate loses. And, and I want to just, for a minute, I, I want you to just think about this for a second. What if your biggest fear for America actually took place? What if the thing that inside you think this would be the worst? What if that actually happened? So for instance, like right now you're thinking, what would be the worst? And this is what it is for most of us, that they would recount the ballots and Kanye would win. I mean, that would be the worst. But, but how about beyond that? For some of you say, well, well the worst would be that, that we continue to be divided and actually end up in another civil war. That would be awful. I agree with you. For some, you might say, well, the worst would be if we just continue down this, this road of moral degradation farther and farther from the truth of God's word and we just become this perverse society with no regard for, for the truth of, of you know, morality. And, and I'm with you, that would be horrible. For some of you, you think, well, maybe the, the worst would be if we became an, just full-on atheist 
nation. What, what, what if we became like communists? I mean, that would be the worst. What if, what if we became an Islamic state and, and, and Sharia law took over our, our nation? I mean, that would be, let me just say this. If, and I pray that none of that happens, if the worst, the biggest fear, the worst case scenario for America did happen, it does not change the good news of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Even if America was an atheistic communist country, even if it was run by Sharia law, the good news of the kingdom of God does not change. Because the good news of the kingdom of God transcends the United States, transcends the Republican Party, transcends the Democratic Party, transcends all of that. And the great news is this, that shepherd, that father, that king, that's where we get our confidence. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Listen, do not trade out the word Lord here for your political candidate of choice. They will let you down. But the confidence that we have is in the Lord. And so we don't have to be afraid because of the Lord. When I was talking with my friends about you know, these questions of how, you know, how will you feel if such and such, one of my friends, we were sitting at a coffee shop, I laid this all out, told him you know, why I was doing it. And I said, so, so what would you feel if in that? And he says, let me tell you, first of all, my first feeling is this. God is still in control. And then he said it two more times. God is still in control. God is still in control. And then he went on to tell me how he would feel about you know, Trump winning or Biden winning. But it was that, that God is in control. You know, th think through through history, biblical history, Daniel, Daniel whose worst case scenario happened. He saw his country fall, it collapsed, it was overthrown um, by the Babylonians. And not only that, but his life was never the same. He was taken, kidnapped to a foreign culture, a foreign country, and he had to, to live there serving under four different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus, and in the midst of all that, as he's off in, in Babylon for the rest of his life, he gets a vision. And in this vision, he sees what is to come. And in this vision, he sees Jesus in the context. He's referred to as the Son of Man, which, by the way, is the title that Jesus uses most often for himself. He sees Jesus, the Son of Man. He sees God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And this is what he writes down of what he sees about what is coming with this Son of Man, with Jesus. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is kingdom confidence, that because of who Jesus is, and because of this kingdom, he has dominion, authority, sovereignty that won't change, and his kingdom will never pass away, and we get to be a part of that. That's where we have our kingdom confidence. That's where the kingdom transcends. In the, in the book of, of, of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people, again, who are experiencing worst case scenario, intense persecution, despair, 
feeling hopeless, losing their very lives. And he bolsters their confidence with these words out of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. This verse, Hebrews 12, 28. Some of you need to probably write this down on a three by five card or put it on the screensaver on your phone or your computer and live with this because we're a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, cannot. And because of that, our hearts can be filled with gratitude. Regardless of who wins, regardless of what happens with our country, we can have hearts filled with gratitude because of the kingdom we're a part of and our response is to worship God respectfully with awe. Don't you understand this? That, that we're not called to live in fear. We're called to be people that are overflowing with gratitude. I mean, yeah, I know this is November, Thanksgiving and all that. Listen, the, the most healthy emotion that you can have is gratitude. The most healthy uh, attitude is, is being grateful. And he says, and we've got every reason to always be grateful and to be filled with worship. Let me, um, let me illustrate um, how we can have this confidence. This is November, as I mentioned, and every November, you may or may not be aware of this, um, the Leonid uh, meteor showers come through every November. This year, it will happen on the 17th, and if it's a clear night and you're up at night, on November 17th, that night, the, the Leonid uh, uh, meteor shower will come through. And this year, um, if you're watching it, they say that you'll probably see 10 to 15 meteors per hour. So, you know, every five, six minutes, you might, you might see one. But with a Leonid um, meteor shower, every 33 years is an exceptional year where there's like way more. And the year of the, uh, the 33s that topped all was 1833, at least as, as far as we have in recorded history. In, eight, in November 13th, 1833, there was a, a Leonid meteor shower like had never been seen before and may probably never be seen like again. And it was estimated that in the peak, in, instead of there being you know, 10, 15 per hour, throughout there were, there were tens of thousands of meteors per hour. And the peak hour, it was estimated that there were 100,000 meteors that could be seen in that hour, which means you're seeing like 27 per second. It's just this constant flood. In Illinois, there was a Presbyterian deacon who was familiar with Scripture. Revelation chapter 6, verse 13, talks about you know, the, the final judgment, the end of the world. And it says, And the stars fell from the skies like figs late in the season are cast from the trees with a big wind. And so he's realizing this is Revelation 6, 13 happening. So he goes around knocking on doors saying, The judgment has come. The end of the world is happening. There was a young man, 24 years old, and this uh, Presbyterian deacon knocked on his door and said, it's the end of the world. And this young man threw open his shutters and he looked out and sure enough, it was chaotic. It was spectacular. It was amazing. The skies were just, uh, uh, just uh, a frenzy of all of these meteors. And then this young man said he looked beyond the meteors and he saw all the grand old constellations that he was so familiar with. How the Big Dipper would point to Polaris, the North Star, 
the small Little Dipper, Orion's Belt, all of those, and they were true and in place. And he realized this is not the end of the world. 30 years later, that young man, now not as young, his name, by the way, Abraham Lincoln, was the president of our country in a time when our country was divided over some very important issues, injustice and humanity and rights of individuals and values and, and economy and, and the hatred and the division and the civil war. And in the midst of that storm, Abraham Lincoln told the story of when he was 24. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking how often our world, our political arena, our current state is like this meteor shower and for some of us we think it's the end of the world and we forget that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's not. It baffles my mind why so many Christians run around like chicken little saying the sky is falling, living in fear, doomsday, this is it, it's over, it's all done, and not even realizing that we're part of this kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the kingdom confidence that we can live in, that we should live in. And it's not just this macro kingdom of God. While it is that, and this is where I'm going to get way ahead of myself in this series. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever, Jesus tells a parable, a story about these two guys who are building houses. It's, kind of, it's a little bit like the three little pigs, but one of them builds it on sand and one of them builds it on rock. And at the end, he says this one, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man who builds his house on the rock. And the winds will come and the storms will rise and the waves will beat against it, but it will stand firm. It's not just an unshakable kingdom. It's an unshakable life. And that leads us to the second one. And I'm gonna have to hurry because I took way, way uh, longer on that one. And that is our kingdom citizenship. We are kingdom citizens in this good news, in this kingdom of God. As I said, the kingdom of God, the good news is this, that now through Jesus, ordinary people like you and I, we can live in, we can experience on a daily basis the presence and the power of God. And Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than any other subject. Over and over again, he would talk about the kingdom of God. And sometimes he was misunderstood. And sometimes people didn't kind of see it the way he did. And sometimes people thought it was going to be something that it wasn't. And it wasn't just the common folks who heard this. I mean, that was great. You remember the, the poor in spirit, like they would get in not because they're poor in spirit, but in spite of the fact. But it was the religious leaders as well. And there was a time when some of the religious leaders heard him talking about the kingdom of God. And so they kind of they call him on it and they say this. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. That the kingdom of God is breaking into our lives and then breaking out into this world. Honestly, I think if, for some of you, and, and I wanna be gracious here, but for some of you, I think your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends would think that 
you're a whole lot more interested in the affiliation of the political party than you are in your affiliation with the kingdom of God. That you're more passionate about your candidate of choice than you are about the kingdom of king of kings. That maybe, maybe what's more important to you is the United States more so than God's kingdom. And we are called to be citizens. The, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul writes to some, some people, a, a church, group of people, followers of Christ, in Philippi. And again, he, he's talking to them about, you know, where is your mind? Is your, your mind on earthly things or is it on things above? Those, those kind of things. He, he's talking about, you know, your mind on earthly things with them. And then he writes these words in, in chapter 3, verse 2. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, it's in heaven. Now remember, Paul's one, he understands the eternal perspective. He's the one that, that wrote, you know, uh, we, we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. He got it. He understood the eternal perspective. He says, I need you to understand your eternal king, uh, kingdom citizenship. And that you're awaiting not the presidential choice of yours. You're awaiting the Lord, Jesus Christ. It's your citizenship is that in the kingdom of God and that eternal perspective, understanding that, it transcends the here and now. It transcends this election. It transcends whoever will be president and his administration. It transcends the United States. It transcends our lives. Remember I talked to you about, in Hebrews, you know, writing to people who are going through some, some very difficult trials, very hard times. Again, worst, worst case scenario type stuff. And in that context, the writer of Hebrews says um, about you know, people who, uh, in Hebrews 11, it's this chapter of faith, people who continued to hold on to this fact that their, their citizenship was in heaven. He says, these people were still living by faith when they died, and they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Aliens and strangers on the earth. That, that, that people who are in the kingdom of God are expatriates on earth. That, that we're here, we live here, but our citizenship is elsewhere. Now, let me give you a little bit of bit history on the citizenship in the kingdom of God. So Jesus has his disciples and after the resurrection there's a handful of followers and then the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and then it blossoms to thousands and, and then it continues to grow daily. The numbers were added to every single day. And then there's this time where uh, Stephen, one of the early church leaders, he's actually killed. He's martyred because of his faith. He's, that's, you talk about persecution. He's killed because of his faith. And so Christians, there's this great persecution that happens. Christians begin to disperse. But when they disperse, they take with them the good news of the kingdom of God and their citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Later, the apostle Paul, he becomes a, a follower of Jesus. He goes on these missionary journeys, and because of his efforts and because the, the, the kingdom is dispersed, 
thousands and thousands of people become followers of Jesus. And then in 64, uh, uh, in 64, some of you are familiar with your, your history, most believe Nero started Rome on fire. He wanted to rebuild it for his own glory. And because there was such outrage in Rome, he pinned it on the Christians, blaming them, which then sparked, with his leadership, persecution, severe, severe persecution against Christ followers. And off and on for hundreds of years, Christians were persecuted that way. Then in 313, uh, in the year 313, Constantine uh, has this thing called the, the Edict, of, Edict of Milan. And in the Edict of Milan, it was this religious tolerance so that persecution against the Christians would no longer happen. Ten years later, uh, 323, I know some of you are saying, I, I don't come to church for history lessons. Hold on, I'm almost done. 323, Christianity becomes the official religion of Rome, which was good and bad, and maybe more bad than good. And then in 410, at the decline, the beginning of the decline of Rome and the eventual downfall of Rome, Christians are blamed for the fall of Rome. With all of that, and I think it was 426, 423, St. Augustine writes this book called The City of God. And in the city of God, he writes this to contrast the city of man, the city of earth, and the city of God, these two kingdoms, and to remind the followers of Christ that their citizenship and their hope and their glory is not in Rome. And it doesn't matter if Rome you know, rises, it doesn't matter if Rome falls, because they're citizens of the kingdom of God. And maybe we need to be reminded that the city of God, the kingdom's citizenship, is not determined or correlate at all with how well the United States does or if it falls. Now, I want it to do well, don't get me wrong, but this kingdom that we have confidence in, that is unshakable, with the king of kings, we get to be citizens of it. Really, our citizenship and our confidence does not change at all with what happens in our country. So during that severe persecution, like during Nero's time, some of these Christians were being persecuted. The book, uh, the book of 1 Peter was written to these people, and, and what they experienced was absolutely horrific. And Peter writes these words. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, here we are again, this, these um, resident aliens. Like, we're not tourists. We live here. We're residents. But we're not citizens of this earth as much as we are citizens of heaven. So we're resident aliens. As aliens and strangers in the world, he says, this is your identity to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Because you're a part of this unshakable kingdom, because you're a citizen in this kingdom, it changes the way you live. This is that kingdom perspective. It's different. In fact, he goes on to say, live such good lives among the pagans. Now remember, there was all kinds of atrocities going on morally and, and hedonistic, you know, just licentiousness. I mean, just out of control. And you have heard it said, when in Rome. But he's saying, no, no, no. You're different. You've heard it said, what happens in Vegas. No, 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 no. You're different. 
He says, live such good lives, not just in your belief system, in the way you live your life. Live such good lives among the pagans. And I know right now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh yeah, well, okay, for our context, we can take the word pagans out and we can say, live such good lives among the Republicans because what Christ follower would ever be a Republican? And some of you push back and say, no, 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 no. What he really means is live such good lives among the Democrats because what kind of Christ follower would ever be a Democrat? And I just want to say, whoa, 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 slow down, stop. You're like two kids in the backseat of a station wagon going across Texas. If I have to sit between you two, maybe we can start this way. Live such good lives among the Christians. Can we just start there? I mean, I don't know about you, but in this political season, there's been some stuff said and done and posted by brothers and sisters that I will spend eternity with that make me not want to be associated with them. It's like, come on. We have like one Lord, one baptism, one spirit that we all drink from. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will, you'll be slandered. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They can say what they want, but when they see your life, they'll say, man, something's up there. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five? You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that all will see it. You can't put a city on a hill, cannot be hidden. Shine your light in such a way that God gets glorified. Which, okay, I gotta do this quickly. It takes us to this third one, and that is the kingdom culture. The kingdom culture. Um, you know, we, we live right now in such a, such a cancel culture. So someone doesn't agree with you, they oppose you, don't believe like you, just cancel them. That's kind of the way it is, just cancel them. We're gonna cancel them, we're not gonna cancel them. We're not gonna do that anymore. As Christians, we're not called to a cancel culture. We're called to a kingdom culture. And you say, well, yeah, but, but, but they, you know, they did this and they said this and so we're gonna do this and we're gonna boycott this and we're gonna say no to this and we're gonna, do all, we're gonna cancel them out because they canceled us out. Okay, well, hold on there. Again, it sounds like drama queen there. Let me remind you, you're a child of the king. In Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. That's not just the belief systems, while that's part of it. It's the way that there's interaction. It's the way that we operate. It's the things that we say. It's, it's how we respond. Don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You think differently, you act differently, you talk differently. It's a different way of being. Listen, if you weren't here the last two weeks, go back and listen or watch Pastor Kip's sermon and Pastor Brian's sermon about what does it mean to be citizens in this kingdom and to live this kingdom culture, especially in this political hot environment that we live in. We're to be different than everybody else. I was listening to a, an interview by a, a great, long-standing pastor, uh, Pastor Dr. Uh, Crawford Luritz. And they were asking, hey, uh, Dr. Luritz, after, after the uh, election, will you preach on, you know, what will you preach on? And he says, well, you know, I'll, I'll reference it, but we're just, we've been in, in a book, and I will just continue on. And then he made this statement. He said, what changes doesn't change us. I love that. What changes doesn't change us. 
the world changes, their morality changes, their values change, the way they act, all this stuff changes, but we are rock solid. What changes doesn't change us. And then he went on to say, you know, we, we, as we encounter all the hostility, we're not supposed to reflect our culture. We are humbly supposed to be the North Star. And then he says this, as followers of Christ, we are to be portrait of the desired destination. What a picture. That our lives, the way we operate in this world, is to be a picture of the desired destination. That's what we as kingdom bringers, as kingdom citizens, are called to be. To live and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let that be the portrait of our lives. Jeremiah writes to people whose country, again, has been decimated. They're off in a foreign land for 70 years. And he writes them with these instructions. Seek the peace, the shalom, the well-being, the flourishing. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here they are in exile. They don't want to be there. They don't like these people. They don't like this culture. He says, I need you as citizens of this kingdom to be committed to the full flourishing of the area, the country, the city, the people that you dwell amongst. That you would want the very best for them. Timothy Keller said this. He said, true citizens of the heavenly city are the best residents of the earthly city. When we grasp our confidence in the kingdom of God, our citizenship, then the culture that we bring is to right that which is wrong, to fight the injustice, to bring light into the darkness, to bring hope into the despair, to heal the ills of our society. It's to be the best ones on this earth because our citizenship is in heaven. All right. Now, I could go on and on on this one, but for years throughout human history, kingdoms have come and gone. Dynasties have risen and fallen. Nations have, you know, been powerful and not. And in our country, presidents and political parties have come and gone. And all of that. And Jesus makes it really clear there's to be a kingdom distinction with his followers. That we're to be different, think different, live different, act different, talk different, respond different. People of the kingdom. In this world where powers rise and fall, kingdoms come and go, let me remind you of what it says in Psalm 145. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. So what if? What if maybe you spend a little less time on the fear-monger news feeds and a little more time in the truth of God's word? That you put a little less hope in the kingdom of this earth and a whole lot more hope in the eternal kingdom of God. That you would live with confidence and not fear. That your citizenship is first and foremost in heaven 
and it would change your life. So, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom.